Welcome everyone to Creating a Family. Talk about foster, adoptive, and kinship care. I'm Dawn Davenport. I am the host of this show as well as the director of the nonprofit creatingafamily.org. Today, we're going to be talking about fostering or adopting as a single parent. We will be talking with Britt Brower. She is a single mom to a -a two-and-a-half-year-old internationally adopted daughter. And we will talk with Sadie Gonzalez. She is an adoptive single mom of a 13-month-old daughter. And we will talk with Amy Kirchhoff. She is a single mom to four children adopted from foster care who are now all young adults, and she is now the foster mom to a preschooler. So welcome, Amy, Sadie, and Britt. We are so glad to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. So I think a lot of people think about adopting as a single or even fostering, but it's a mighty task to think about. So let's begin by hearing your stories. Just I'd like to hear more about where you were in life, why you were thinking about this, and then how you chose the type of adoption and when to adopt. Sadie, let's start with you. I was actually 16 when I decided I wanted to adopt the idea of Biologically, having children didn't appeal to me, and I had some family health issues and extended family. So adoption always seemed like the route I was going to take without really understanding the scope of what that meant until I was older. When I turned 30, I just all of a sudden decided it was time, and I tried foster parenting. And when that wasn't the right route for me, I did try insemination just because of cost reasons. People don't realize it's cheaper to give birth than it is to adopt, yes. Yes. Well, the insurance, let's put it this way, the insurance pays for the cost, (laughs) your health insurance, so yeah. And uh, that didn't work out, so I just, my heart had me take a stop, and, and I stopped doing everything until my heart healed in February 2020. Right before the world shut down, I decided it was time to try it again. A friend had referred me to a local adoption agency, and I started working on becoming a, an adoptive parent through domestic infant adoption. So it was a six-year kind of painful, joyous, educational, and growing up experience, I would say, from 30 to 36. Yeah, that sounds like it. Parenthood has a way of doing that to all of us. <laughs> yes. Amy, tell us your story. I was thinking about adoption in my late 20s. And when I turned 30, it was possible to adopt from China then. I couldn't do it before then. And so I went ahead and and adopted my first child, 11-month-old, healthy baby girl. It went very well. I had a very supportive employer. A couple of years later, I decided I was ready to do it again, that I wasn't actually sure that the single mom, single parent was a a healthy dynamic for us. I wanted her and thought it would be better for us if more work to have all the the family spread out, sort of all that love and and, and so forth, that that would actually be a healthier situation for us. And adopted an older child from China, a son. So my daughter at that time was two and a half and my son was seven that I adopted. So he was older. A year or so later, I was feeling the urge again And I actually thought to myself, this is stupid. You should not do this now. My eldest needed a big surgery that was coming up. He'd had one three months after coming home. He needed another one. So instead of actually doing anything real formal, I called my adoption agency and I said, you know, if you you ever have a disruption, you could consider me. I'm not afraid of an older child adoption or a child with health needs. 
And, uh, you know, you should be careful what you ask for. Uh, <laughs> Especially saying, I'm, yeah, I'm open to adopt from, from a disruption. Yep. <laughs> and in the end, my youngest, he's 18 now, so that my kids are quite a bit older. He was two and a half when he came, developmentally about 18 months old. And, you know, in the end, I was sort of the last one standing saying, yeah, I'll take him. Was he also international or was he? He was originally international. It was actually a challenge because his first American parents hadn't figured out how to love who he was. They had a, a picture in their head, I think, of what he would be, and mm -hmm. he wasn't that. Mm -hmm. But one of the effects of that was that he had been adopted from Guatemala and they never naturalized him. And they'd lost his paperwork. Oh, so gosh. for like a year, I had like this little undocumented immigrant, like the only proof I had that he was mine and should be with me was a letter from the adoption agency on their letterhead. Oh, gosh. Yeah, we were talking about like trying to get his first American parents to the consulate, the embassy in New York with me and him to get a new passport. In the end, they found the paperwork and I was able to adopt them. But it was it was a trying year because it was so, well, actually rather akin to my current foster care situation where it was just unknown, like the placement was firm but unknown. And then I was done for a while. <laughs> they, that was full. That was enough. That was enough. But, you know, maybe six or seven years, I don't even know. I, I went back to China again and adopted a 10-year-old this time who's in the middle of my children. She's the second oldest, who also had some medical needs. They are all great. My eldest is 24. The one I adopted at 10 is now 21. My first daughter is 20, and my son is 18. And we have a four-year-old foster daughter. That was not exactly planned. <laughs> There's a recurring theme with you, I'm just going to say. I, know, right? like, I had a family in Indiana, and I have a great niece who was taken into the system, social care system. So I got licensed for foster care so she could come here if we needed to do that. For a variety of reasons, we didn't do that. So I called the local social services, Child Protective Agency. I said, you know what? You licensed me. I guess you could place a kid with me. And they did. <laughs> Again, a recurring theme here. When you say, I will take a child, you may get Yeah, be, be sure you know what you're saying when you do that. Picked her up at the hospital when she was seven days old, and she turned four in July. She is still a foster child, and they are still looking at reunification. Gotcha. So that's me. That's you. Okay. Britt, how about you? Well, I, similar, I think, to your other guests, I kind of always knew I wanted to be a mom and that adoption was probably going to be my route. Why did you think adoption and not doing it the uh, the other way? For two reasons. First being, I've always been a really independent person and I like to do things on my own. I always pictured myself as a single mom, which is probably different than a lot of people. The other reason, just from a social responsibility standpoint. And like, there's a lot of kiddos out there who need homes. I've got a home <laughs> and, and the willingness, and I don't really know that I need to put another human on this earth. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel right to me. So this one did feel right. So that's, yeah. Yeah. And so it's something that was always in the back of my head. I kept getting older. I had focus on career. And then the world came to an end or to a stop with COVID. At the same time, one of my, I was starting to think a little more seriously. I was 40 years old at that point, thinking a little more seriously about adopting, like I need to get on it now. And one of my very dear friends had a terminal cancer diagnosis. She's a kind of a big part of my story. And she, I was there with her a lot and helped her. And she sent me a check for 
$15,000 with a note that said, use this money to help someone else or travel the world. And I was like, okay, this is my sign that this is when I need Mm -hmm. to jump in and actually do this. And so I called her and we cried about it. And the next day I contacted my adoption agency and jumped in with both feet. (laughs) Um, So my daughter is now two and a half. I brought her home just over a year ago from India. And yeah, that's kind of, it was, it was a lot of work. I had no idea what I was getting into. They prepare you, but like until you experience it, it's pretty hard. I didn't understand exactly what they were preparing me for. Yeah. I mean, how can you? I mean, really? Yeah. So she was about 18 months old. Does she have significant special needs as well or just? She has a lifelong congenital condition that will require medication management for her life, but is a wonderfully happy. She is, she is wonderful and advanced. And I had all these worries about all of these problems she was going to have based on all the research I did before I adopted. And she has, she has not had any extra issues. Let me pause here for a moment to say thank you, thank you to our listeners, both our returning listeners, as well as our new listeners. We really appreciate you being here with us. Did you know that following or subscribing to the creatingafamily.org podcast gives you access to other content on adopting or fostering as a single parent? Well, it does. We have other shows that we have done on this topic, and when you subscribe, you have access to more than 15 years worth of content to choose from. In fact, within two weeks, we will be celebrating our 16th year. So you have 16 years worth of content to choose from. So please subscribe to our podcast on whatever device, whatever app you're currently listening to it on. I think that we all have our worries. We all have, oh my gosh. And I don't know if it's intensified. Maybe I should ask that. I don't know if it's intensified if you're single, but at least when you're not single, you have somebody to share your worries with. On the other hand, that could add to be exacerbating your worries, you know, so I probably cuts both ways. So Amy, before you started, what were your biggest worries? That was a number of years ago, but can you remember back to what were you worried about? I've done this enough now that I'm much more relaxed about it all. Yeah. When I started, I was I was just really worried about the balancing of work. I have a full-time career and I enjoy my work. I want to do my work and raising a child. And I remember that making me crazy. Like, oh my God, I'm 30 minutes late to the office. And that being anxiety causing. Less so now. One thing that adopting kids sort of over and over again, like each new addition helped me focus more on what was important and not important Mm. and could go like, yeah, you know what? That 30 minutes, 18 years ago, wasn't important at all. It wasn't important at all. You didn't know that when I first started, though. It felt really, really, really important at that time. Yeah. We're going to talk some about the work-life balance because I think that is a particular thing that we have to end up talking about because it is that is harder, I think, when you're single. But we'll save that for a little bit. Sadie, for you, what was your biggest worry? Well, my mom will chuckle when she hears this because she will say, I worry about absolutely everything. (laughs) But my biggest worry, and it still is to some extent, you know, my daughter's only a little over a year, so I don't know how life will turn out yet. But like Britt, I realized in the last few years that I kind of wanted to do this alone unless, you know, 
someone extraordinary becomes available. Mm-hmm. Single parenting was really kind of the way I wanted to do this. But in a way, I was really concerned that that's selfish because doing infant adoption, my child has lost her genetics, right? She lost her her birth parents, her first parents. And now I've also taken the potential of a adoptive father from her. And I worried about, you know, am I being selfish because I want I just want to parent. And so I talked to family members, close family members that have been raised with a single mother and friends, and they kind of assuage those fears. My home study agency is also an adoption agency, and my social worker was amazing. They're actually who showed me creating a family.org during our home study process. And I told her that I would like to talk to, you know, another single mom to talk this through. And she hooked me up with a woman that has adopted three children. And so it was really nice to talk through those fears with someone to understand that, yes, it's probably going to be a sense of trauma or issue, but that doesn't mean that you can't provide a loving, supporting home for a child, just like any other family. So I, I would say that that was probably my biggest fear and also to your point, you know, when you are coupled, you have double the resources, double the money, double the time, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was concerned being one person, I had to be very astute of the decisions I was making in order to be the right parent for the right child so that I had the resources for them to be a good parent to them and mm-hmm. to get them the resources they needed. So those I think were two of my biggest worries and things I've thought about as I I brought her home. And did that influence you? I think if I understood you correctly, that because you knew that you would be the only one providing the resources that it might have limited potential matches or potential opportunities, if you felt like the child might have greater needs than you could meet, is that? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because like I said, if, if I'm at work, I didn't want to be raising a child that would need someone that was better for them to have a a full-time parent in the home or, you know, Mm -hmm. if I didn't have the financial resources to get them the therapy or things that they might need, I'm not the right family for a child that would need those resources to thrive. Mm -hmm. And so I really thought of it in that way when I was making decisions. That makes sense. One issue that often comes up, but the only one who this is applicable to is you, Amy. But one issue that often comes up is that when adopting as a single if you adopt a child of a different gender, how do you provide the necessary role model? Or maybe there isn't a necessary role model, but did you think about that? Amy, two of your children, I think, are sons. And did you think about the same gender role model for your sons? Was that something you thought about? And if so, what did you come up with? Yeah, I think it was necessary for my sons, also necessary for my daughters. I was just going to say, I'm going to come back to that because I totally agree with that. (laughs) So I'm going to loop everybody in on the conversation there. Let's talk about same gender role models for your son. Both of my parents are still alive and participating in our life and my children's lives. Do they live nearby? My mom does. My father is farther away. However, when I needed sitters for like a week, like I have to, oh, I don't know, I have to go back to China and adopt another child, or I have to go to California for work for four days, my dad would come down. And my stepmom, they would drive the eight hours and stay at my house for a week once they were tired. So mm-hmm. they, they could do that kind of sitting. So he was a resource, even though he wasn't immediate. Mm-hmm. My brother's also quite close. So he, in fact, 
I will not teach my children to drive. I tried it with my eldest. It did not work. <laughs> Neither one of us was happy with that. And my brother comes up from Camden and teaches my children to drive. So we see him regularly. So there were lots of male figures in their lives. Even my eldest, when he was in middle school, my youngest wanted my eldest to come to the daddy child tea at school or whatever. And so, you know, my son took the afternoon off from school and I picked him up from middle school and drove him to the elementary school so he could do this with his younger brother and I sat in the hallway. So there's lots of ways to find that male or female representative that you need that doesn't include having a mm -hmm. partner in the house. Work your network. You've got a network, even if you mm -hmm. don't know it. Mm -hmm. And don't be afraid to ask. And there's big brothers, big sisters. There's also, there's lots of ways, but I think it takes some intentionality. But I am glad you brought up, because as you heard me earlier, I paused because I also firmly agree that girls need male role models as well. So I, good point, And I totally agree. So Britt, have you given some thought to how you will provide your daughter with male role models? I have. And that was definitely a big concern of mine going into this. Happily, my dad is retired and he has, he came for a week of while I was in India to meet my daughter there. And he has been very active. He takes us fishing and on all sorts of adventures, which is amazing to see on multiple levels. Mm -hmm. I also I have, my brother-in-law is great and he is very involved. He likes to take her skating. He wants her to be a hockey player. He's from Canada. And I also have a very dear friend. My friend Jesse is Uncle Jesse. And so he spends, I, I've made sure to include those three positive male influences in her life and mm -hmm. make sure they're around and be very intentional about making sure, oh, we haven't seen Jesse in a couple of weeks. I need to schedule something here. Or, you know, let's... Mm -hmm. Call grandpa and see if he wants to come over for dinner tonight or but Yeah. So it takes and Amy also mentioned that her dad accompanied her on all three of her adoption trips as well, which is a really special way of of bonding. So Sadie, what about you and thinking in terms your daughter is still quite young, but still. Yeah. So I am very blessed that my parents are also still alive and they are a two minute drive from my house. We live in a pretty small town. And so my mother watches her in the morning when I work and then my dad gets off work at one thirty, and he, he tag teams with her then. So she has exposure to both grandparents, but her grandpa every afternoon and their other grandbaby is 29 years old. So mm -hmm. he is relishing being a grandpa to a little girl right now. And they are best buddies and partners in crime. And then outside of that, my sister and I have a pretty large age gap. So I have a wonderful brother-in-law and like I said, nephew, who's almost 30. So they live two hours away. So there's support there, but not daily. And then I'm heavily involved in our local Kiwanis Club, which is a service club and typically has senior citizens, retirees. So there's several older men that, you know, fawn over when they see her as well. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's all, like Amy said, it's about figuring out who your resources are around you and then making sure you, you water those relationships. Mm -hmm. That leads into, it may end up being redundant, but maybe there'll be something new that we will learn. Who is your village in a way? I mean, who do you have 
because we it's a joke to think that any of us, whether you're partnered or not, is doing this alone because you're not. We all need all sorts of help along the way. It's the, you know, the old adage, it takes a village. Sadie, it sounds like for you, your parents are very much a part of your village. They're your childcare, which I can just hear people in the audience going, oh man, what I wouldn't give for that. (laughs) I know. It's a complete blessing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. They're my primary support, I would say. And I would give this advice to people listening that are thinking about adopting or foster care. My adoption took 23 months. So at the time when I started the home study and they ask you who your resources, who your support system is, at the time, my sister and her family still lived here. And between then and the 23 months that I brought her home, they moved. So in hindsight, I realize you have to realize who your resources are, but also have contingency plans if mm-hmm. you know those resources happen to get sick or pass away or move or you know whatever. Mm-hmm. You have to have a large enough resource base to know that you can do it or have the finances, you know, for daycare or or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I have a wonderful support group in the people that I work for. They were amazing when I had to spend the week in Tennessee to adopt. And like I said, my parents and, and my sister and her family. And then we've had a lot of support, like I said, from my service club and, and church was a great emotional resource. And then I have been very lucky in my twenties and thirties to build a great friend group. It's really important to, like I said, to water those relationships and have a a really good social system. And I have a handful of, you know, chosen sisters outside of my birth sister that would do anything to support me from throwing a shower and getting a bunch of diapers and wipes and clothes and and things that have helped Mm -hmm. for months. My workplace did the same. Some church members did the same. That has been hugely beneficial. So there are lots of different ways that people can provide support, Mm -hmm. but you, you have to know who those people are and then keep those relationships close. Don't hesitate to ask and ask specifically what you need. Britt, what about you? Who is in your village? My family is definitely kind of my biggest supports right now. I went through a big transition with friends. Some of the people I thought were in my corner and were going to be supportive have kind of disappeared. And I went through a kind of a rough transition when we got home. Personally, I had quite an adventure in India. I ended up being stuck in India for three months due to some issues with the Mm. court lawyer over there who was trying to get bribes and refusing to give me my signed court orders, which was a whole situation. But anyways, I got home, had a lot to work through and realized that some of the people who were so excited for me to begin with and were a part of me kind of nesting before I got my daughter fell off the radar a little bit. And I've had to kind of rebuild. Again, my family, my parents have been huge. My sister, some of my aunts and uncles and cousins. Also, I think my biggest support now, I ended up meeting another single mom when I was in India who was adopting her daughter from the same orphanage, from the same room in the same orphanage that my daughter was in. Oh, how special. So not only am I able to foster that friendship between these girls, the other single mom and I have become very close. She lives halfway across the country, so it's not as easy as if she lived in state, but we do multiple FaceTime calls a week with the girls and after the girls are asleep so that we can talk as single moms. And I find that she gets my struggles more than anyone else because she, from every level, from the India specific things to the single mom things, 
So that has been a huge support. We've actually, we're flying out to meet them next month. We've been visiting back and forth at each other's houses, which is great. Oh, it's perfect. That would be so special for the girls as well. Yeah. When they get older. So Amy, how about you? Who is, and, and it's interesting because both Britt and Sadie's daughters are young, but you've gone through the need for a village with school-age kids, teens, and now young adults. Does your village needs change as your children age? The village definitely changes. I don't know if the needs change so much as just, you know, the circle around you changes. I will echo Brit, one of my best friends I met in China adopting my first daughter, and she was adopting her daughter from the same orphanage. And it turns out she's, you know, 40 minutes away from me. We saw each other all the time when our kids were little. We were quite a crew. You know, there were like two of us and six kids. Like we, we, we both had multiples. But one of the things I wanted to say is that your network needs to include people who support you. And I found that finding a group of single adoptive moms was really important. Mm-hmm. It's just our needs and interests were quite different. Our reasons for adopting were different. Our religious backgrounds were different. And that was really supportive and helpful for me. Even with those differences, the commonality of being single moms, single adoptive moms can overcome all the what you're saying. Yeah. Got yeah. It. And our focus was like, I am part of other adoptive groups and a single adoptive mom is quite a different person than a two-parent adoptive family. It's you're making different choices. And so finding that group can be really, really supportive for you personally as a mom. The other bit of advice I wanted to give was you are not a bad parent when your circle of support includes people you pay. Yes, that's we all. Yes, we've all had to rely on that. Or most of us have. I struggled with that a little bit when I first brought my daughter home. Because like at one point, like I had a work meeting, I couldn't miss. And they were doing one of those, you know, they do those, those events at daycare every month, you know, mommy daughter thing. And you're like, wait, I work, I work 40 hours a week. I, mm-hmm. You know, I have to bring in the money. Why are you doing this? <laughs> and you know, there was like, I, I had a meeting. I had, I had to go up to New York City. I paid the babysitter to go to the mommy and me tea at daycare because what else was I going to do? Everybody else was, my mother was working. My brother was working. Like, what was I going to do? And that was a struggle for me to acknowledge. Like I had like a moment of like, am I a bad mom? Because I have to pay the babysitter to do this mommy and me thing at daycare. Like, but you know what? We have a great relationship. She's doing very well. It did not scar her at all. (laughs) And so to the extent that I can help other people understand that you are not harming your child forever because you are arranging for them to enjoy this event, perhaps not with you, Mm -hmm. that is acceptable. Sadie, do you have some thoughts on that? Well, I just kind of want to piggyback off of something you said. One of the reasons I was so excited to participate in this conversation is there is not a lot of education or content or material geared towards single parents that are adopting Mm -hmm. or fostering. The majority are are couples, and that's where a lot of the educational resources come in. So I do think it's really important to have people you can talk to, have resources you can find, because our reasons are different and our needs are different. You know, a couple might not have to think about paying someone to have a daughter tea day And those are things that we have to think about, right? So Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to have that conversation and be very open and honest about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree. 
calling all foster parent trainers or adoptive or foster parent trainers or support groups for foster adoptive or kinship. So if you're a leader of a support group or you are a trainer, Creating a Family has a terrific resource for you to consider. It is a curriculum for foster adoptive and kinship families. We have 25 curricula for you to choose from. Each one of them is a turnkey, complete resource with everything you need to do a training. It is interactive, so we get people to participate, and it can be done online or in person. You can get more information about it at creatingafamily.org. Go to the training tab, click on it, and then click on curriculum. Check it out, please. All right, I want to shift now to some of the work-life balance issues because everybody, every parent has, and I I know we're all sick of hearing the the term work-life balance. You know, it's like, get real. There's no such thing as a work-life balance. But I do think that the issues single parents face is different. You have to work. You have to be bringing in money. You are the single support of your family. And you also need a life yourself. There's just so many things that come in with just the one person. So for lack of a better term, let's call it the work-life balance. So Britt, what have you found as far as your ability to balance your work life and your parenting life and feel that you're giving to your daughter and also have some time for yourself? I feel like my situation is a little bit unique in that when I was in India for three months, I ended up losing my job because I went past the FMLA and my position was a position that was hard. So I do part-time bookkeeping on the side now. I work from home from my office. I'm grateful that my job allows me to I can do the work during naps. I can do the work when she goes to bed. For the most part, I can work around her schedule, which has been extremely stressful in some ways. But also, I I struggled with it a lot when I got back from India. Do I look for another full-time job or do I... I sat down, crunched numbers, and and was realized that I was able to make it work doing part-time bookkeeping work until she's in preschool, and then I'll transition back into a full-time work. And it's been nice to be able to be there at home with her as much. But then since I picked her up on June 22nd of last year, I think we've had a total of 20 hours apart from each other, which is not enough. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you're being honest about that. (laughs) She is my world, but, but she's two and a half. And sometimes I, you know, I don't get enough of a break from her. Mm -hmm. It's just how it's worked out so far. And I, I'm, realizing more and more how important that self time. And so the work-life balance, it's hard to work around a toddler sometimes if I'm trying to make a quick call or do things and she decides she's going to play her drums or just start screaming for no reason, not angry screaming, just screaming, you know, because she's two. So that can be frustrating. And the other side of it is since I'm not getting out to work and be around other adults, I'm not getting the time away from her, which Mm -hmm. I'm working on finding better solutions for now. (laughs) I would encourage you to find better solutions. Just because you're a single parent, you need time away. And that's part of the balance part is getting some time to yourself. So Amy, how have you found time for yourself, time for your work and time for your kids? Yeah, it's gotten easier as I've gotten 
older. I started this when I was 30 and I am 50 now. You know, I did the whole toddler thing again at (laughs) 48. And one of the things I learned is why women don't have babies at 48 is because you're dead (laughs) exhausted at night. (laughs) This is why you do it at 25 and 30. So in some ways, my vision of work-life balance has gotten clearer over time. You know, iterates. I love my job. I love working. I'm currently working at home just because they closed our office because everyone's remote and I hate it. I loved going into the office every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was away from home. Heaven help me. I was away from my kids. Sure. It was a <laughs> fine time. Yeah, I get it. I really like that. I do not actually like working from home, which is where I have to be right now, given my employer. But the work-life balance, it is hard. It's probably harder for single people because you can't offload it, any of it, without hiring a babysitter. Mm -hmm. That is some of what I've done in the past. Like there were times when I had to get work done. I sound like I keep pawning off my children, but I would hire a babysitter on Saturday. Mm -hmm. On Sundays, when you do it on Sundays, you have to work at McDonald's. You can't work at the library because the library is not open on Sundays, right? Like Mm -hmm. I would go work at McDonald's for five hours to catch Mm -hmm. up on stuff, especially if I had to leave work early during the week to go do kids stuff. You just got to find a balance. I don't know that I've done great at supporting my interests outside of working kids. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's different, really different being single than it is being a modern woman in today's age. I am a feminist at heart. But I also think that some of our feminist forebears did us a disadvantage. I don't know that you can have a really successful, aggressive career and simultaneously be a really successful mother in the way that I want to be a mother. I have had a good career. So I don't, I haven't, I haven't given you any advice at all. It's hard (laughs) and you just keep working at it and learning and trying to do better the next year. That's like the only advice I have, I think. And some of this, I think is probably exacerbated when you're single, but I, I know plenty of parents, but mostly women who feel like they have the primary responsibility mm-hmm. for the kids and, and are trying to balance work. But I do think it's exacerbated. So Sadie, how about you? Have you found how you might balance? And also, do you have a, a personal life? Yes. <laughs> so the benefit of this process taking me six years is that partially I've fallen into it and partially I built a world for myself that was conducive to having a child and being a single parent. So I work for a great place that is very flexible. It's a small department. Two of the managers have been single parents of their own at some point. So, you know, there's, and they're, they're all parents. So there's an understanding of needing flexibility and it pays well, which is important. Yep. That's important. (laughs) It is. And with, COVID, you know, we had to stay home for a couple of years and found that that was actually nice. So they've developed a hybrid work policy and we can create that to look however we want at the discretion of our managers. So I actually work from home in the morning and can be around my kiddo. I'm not taking care of her. My mother is, but I'm there in, in the home as a presence. And then in the afternoon, I get to see adults, right? I I go into the office that's two minutes from my home. So it's a nice balance of, you know, getting some time on my own, even if it's working and still being able to be home. And I have found 
it's more important to spend time with my daughter than put an extra load of laundry in. You have to make those decisions of, you know, do you mop the floors or do you play a game? The floors can wait. <laughs> you know, so it's making those decisions. My my mother has been great at saying, you need a break. So as Abel, they'll take her like every other Saturday for a few hours so I can spend time on my own or with friends. And that's been helpful. The first year of a child's life, it is very isolating and you're not going to have a social life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just the way it is, I think, because you're just one, you're too exhausted and two, they, they need so much care. But as she's getting older and, and I can go out with friends with her, social life is starting to open up. And, and I think that's probably true for any parent, not just single parents. There is a change in friend groups sometimes that happens, which Britt mentioned before, and that is if your friends are all having children at the same time, then you're all in it at the same time. But if you are having friends either in a group that is childless or they've had their children a lot earlier, sometimes it does require a change in friend groups, which is really hard, I think. Most of my friends are significantly older than me, partly from the dynamic of the kind of town we live in. And I've collected people when I've moved from workplace to workplace. So my mom joked the other day, for someone that has such a small family, your baby has tons of aunties. So she has an Aunt Jane and an Aunt Crystal and an Aunt Tanya that aren't actually related to me. So I'm lucky that I've got friends that are willing to go along for the ride, even though they don't have kids. That is fortunate. Did you know that we offer free courses to help you be a better parent? Thanks to our partner, the Jockey Bean Family Foundation, we have 12 free courses that we offer. You can find them at bit.ly slash JBF support. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash JBF support. Okay, so now we've talked a, a fair amount about some of the challenges Let's talk about some of the joys and blessings of being a single parent, be it adoptive or foster. Amy, I'll start with you. It's the joy of a family life. Like it's not hugely special. It's like normal and it's wonderfully normal and crazy and busy loving on these loving kids who have grown up to be these delightful young adults who, when I say I'm thinking about bringing a foster kid into the house are like, all right, mom, you know, like, but they like, like, let's, let's do it. And, and our game to like drive her around and babysit. And it's just sort of the joy of these wonderful adults that I've had the luxury and blessing of raising. It's a good thing to look back on. Like I look back on the past 20 years and I'm like, that's, that's good. I mean, look back on my work and I'm like, I've done good things there. I look back on the past 20 years with my family and my kids. I'm like, that's it, man. I did good. They're good. Yeah, They're good. Yeah. I did good. It's wonderful. I love them. They love me. It's a chaotic craziness that is good for all of us. I don't know. So it's not one single thing. It's the environment that it has created for all of us, I guess. Britt, how about you? What is the, one of the biggest joys of being a single adoptive mom? It's completely different than I thought it would be. And it is so chaotic and wonderful. I don't know if there is like, like Amy was saying, one thing. I love cuddling up with her little face and having her look at me with this look that I of pure love and devotion and saying, you know, mommy, I love you. And then two minutes later, 
calling me poopy and pretending to punch me. Like, I mean, it's just (laughs) total chaos and it's wonderful. You know, the messes, I was a super clean person and I thought the messes would drive me crazy and they do sometimes drive me crazy, but I also really like seeing, oh, look, there's a little painted handprint on the window from when we were painting, she ran away from me. Or I don't know, there's just so much, my home feels full of love now and it's chaotic and it's loud and I have a little buddy for, I mean, it's more than just having a little buddy, but you know, I'm not, I know I'm not alone. I have this partner and, and I get to go, I don't know. It's just amazing to feel so completely loved as who I am. I can be completely vulnerable with her and she loves me. She doesn't care. I don't know. She's just awesome. Mm-hmm. It's hard to put words, but it's the best thing. It's completely different than I thought it would be when I started this journey. And I wouldn't change a second of anything that we have gone through together so far. Well, that's a perfect answer then. All right, Sadie, for you, what has been one of the biggest joys or blessings? I think my answer is going to sound pretty similar. I have a couple friends who adore her. And one of them has a couple friends that are around my age. And they said, God bless you. I don't want to. And I don't think I could raise a child on my own. I, I want a partner. And that's a completely valid life choice. You know, you got to do what's right for you. I didn't feel that was right for me. So I went a different way, but I told them, I said, I don't know if I can do this. You know, (laughs) I want to do it, but there's being a parent is you can't rent a kid for a couple of years and (laughs) say, Oh yeah, I'm going to be really good at this. You know, a baby comes to your home or a child and and you're automatically a parent. Then you figure out if you're going to be any good at it. So I was pretty sure that I would be, and I knew that I wanted it more than anything. And I had to drive seven hours to her with my mom and she was in the NICU from Tuesday to Sunday. And I stayed in the hospital with her in her hospital room from Thursday to Sunday, 24 seven. And we left that hospital a unit and we've been a unit ever since. And I luckily was absolutely right that it was what I wanted and, and that I would feel like I'm a good mother and, I, and I'm good at it so far. And just having her presence in my life is a complete joy. And I think most parents all say the same thing, right? You know, seeing them learn the world, watching them do that is one of the greatest joys of life. And, and she just brought joy to all of us. So that would be my answer. Well, thank you so much, Sadie Gonzalez, Amy Kirchhoff, and Britt Brower for talking with us today about fostering or adopting as a single parent. I think you will give inspiration to a lot of folks. So thank you very much for being with us today. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, would not happen without our partners. And our partners are agencies who believe in our mission here at Creating a Family. One such partner is Vista Del Mar. They are a licensed nonprofit adoption agency with over 65 years of experience helping to create families. They offer home study only services as well as full service infant adoption services. They also provide international home studies and post adoption support as well as a foster to adopt program. You can find them online at vistadelmar.org slash adoption.